the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you for joining. Thanks for joining us on this Monday, the twelfth morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, twenty nineteen. Appreciate you being a part of our conversation today. I want to continue. And by the way, I um, I Facebook commented uh, the portion or posted rather uh, a portion of the Eric Holder Department of Justice final report on his investigation into Darren Wilson and the shooting of Michael Brown. And I, that I read to you a short while ago, uh, essentially fully clearing and vindicating Darren Wilson. I posted that because, again, the anniversary of the Michael Brown shooting was just uh, Friday, and the American left, especially all of the Democratic presidential candidates that I talked about, uh, are revising history and declaring that a white police officer murdered an unarmed black teenager who was playing gleefully in the street around the Maypole. That's the story. Um, they're trying to revise that. I really wish Darren Wilson would come out of the hiding and sue all of them for defamation and slander, especially after he had been cleared. Um, but since I'm doing that part of history today, I also want to post and will, if you follow me on Facebook or Twitter and parlor at France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio, is the other anniversary of a tragedy. Two years ago, of course, Heather Heyer, uh, one of the uh, protesters against the statues who happened to be in a crowd of Antifa thugs, not that she was one, of course. She was one of, to by all accounts, the woman who was run down by the nut job racist who drove into the crowd of, uh, of uh, anti-Confederate statues in Charlottesville two years ago. She was one of the very fine people President Trump talked about when he said there are very fine people on both sides. There were people there who were just innocent protesters uh, expressing their opinion on statues. They didn't belong to hate groups like Antifa. They didn't belong to hate groups like neo-Nazis. They were just there to express themselves on the statue debate. 
had nothing to do with the racist groups. That's why President Trump correctly said there were very fine people on both sides of that. Not the thugs, not those who committed battle against one another, certainly not the killer who drove the car into the crowd, but there were innocent people on both sides who were just there to express their First Amendment rights about the statues. It was two years ago that she was killed. And as a reminder of that, Robert Francis O'Rourke, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and all of the Democrats are also repeating the lie that Donald Trump proclaimed that neo-Nazis were the very fine people, despite his specific condemnation of neo-Nazis and white supremacists, saying they should be condemned totally and without reservation. That lie is still making the round, so I'm going to post that on my Facebook page as well. PragerU did a wonderful, wonderful video on this, narrated by Steve Cortez of CNN, telling the truth about what President Trump actually said uh, after the Charlottesville tragedy two years ago today. So you will look for that and hopefully share that as well as we continue to try to bring truth to a campaign of lies against the President of the United States. All right, now I apologize for the delay there, Steve Loomis. I do want to bring in the uh, Cleveland Police Detective, former president of the Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association, who served as a uh, uh, really a well-regarded uh, analyst and pundit on national television uh, during the... Um, Ferguson melee in 2014 and the subsequent uh, investigations in 2015 and 2016. Joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, Steve, good to have you back. How are you? Good morning, Bob. Pretty good. Thanks. Steve, you um, you did a lot of research on, and obviously, as I pointed out, a lot of discussion on national television of the Ferguson effect um, and what happened to policing in the aftermath of the lie that Michael Brown was murdered, an unarmed teenager with his hands in the air saying, don't shoot, don't shoot, and this stone-cold racist killer cop in broad daylight in full view of tons of witnesses just shot him anyway. Um, you spoke a lot about that. Um, in 2014, 15, and 16. Let me ask you now, in 2019, on the five-year anniversary, um, what do you make of Elizabeth Warren calling Darren Wilson a murderer and proclaiming that Michael Brown was an innocent victim of a racist, violent police action? Yeah, that's absolutely despicable, especially for somebody um, who's an elected official who wants to be the commander-in-chief of uh, the our great country is absolutely despicable because facts be damned. We're just going to say whatever we want to say about this thing to, to see if it's going to move us forward in our political careers or you know, it's just ridiculous. That kid so, did nothing wrong. Uh, what kid? Uh, B, uh, Wilson. Oh, okay. You gotta be careful. You gotta be careful here because yeah, the kid yeah, in, in the narrative is Michael Brown, the unarmed teenager. Yeah. So yeah, plain dealer will have that. Tomorrow, that, that little mistake. Uh, Lewis says, kid did nothing wrong. <laughs> yeah, right. That's that's what they try to do. You really, that's sad, sad but true that that's what the media does, and you'd have to be careful. Yeah. Um, uh, r- remind me, Steve, of, of, of your your take from that day, because I've been reading myself, going back and reading the, um, uh, the Holder Department of Justice report, the AG's uh, report on this investigation in which Michael Brown, um, or excuse me, Darren Wilson was cleared, and Michael Brown was perceived to have been the aggressor who not only once tried to take um, uh, Darren Wilson's gun from him, in which uh, he was shot in the hand while still in the SUV, but then lowered his head and came charging toward um, Officer Wilson, um, which, of course, the, you know, uh, 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 prompted Officer Wilson to defend himself with deadly force. So he wasn't going to wait for it, wait for him to tackle him and try to get his gun again. Um, 
the story now, of course, is that he was unarmed. Therefore, it was not justifiable, despite all of those uh, investigations being completed. Yeah, that's just a, it's a ridiculous notion. Look, police officers, um, law enforcement across this country, know what the risks are inherent to this job, to this profession. And but you try to explain to my wife or my mother or any of our families. Um, that we have to sit there and wait and see what he's going to do after he attacked us once already. The problem that they had up there is that they, they the president sent Holder right away. President Obama sent Eric Holder out there right away to see what was going on to appease, you know, the brand new, newly formed Black Lives Matter movement that, you know, was born and raised in Ferguson. And that never happens. That's what brought national overwhelming national attention to that incident was Holder going out there and Obama grandstanding and, and everything else. And, man, that has been the single worst incident for law enforcement in in my career, certainly in my career. Um, it just went downhill from there. You know, it was very disappointing because President Obama, it, and I've told you before, I think, um, you know, I voted for him the first time that he ran not because he's black. That's a ridiculous reason to vote for anybody, black, female, whatever. But because he was young, he was energetic. He seemed to be saying uh, good things. And I'll tell you, it was six months later um, in his presidency that I knew that we were in trouble and that that was a terrible vote when he, uh, with the Cambridge officers, said that they acted stupidly. Yeah. Right? I mean, give me a break with this nonsense. We have a tough job to do that uh, nobody in the right mind wants to do. And I still maintain that's said on national news. You know, police officers, law enforcement are insane for doing what we do. But it's a calling. It's something that is we're born with. I can't explain it. It sounds corny, but that's exactly what it is. And for them to turn around and, and uh, try to rewrite history, like you said, with this Ferguson case is absolutely despicable. Everybody better wake up. And, and watch what's going on with these folks because they have lost their minds. They've lost Steve, their minds. Steve, I want to I fast forward to today. Actually, let me give you this clip uh, from 2016. So this is two years after the Michael Brown shooting. And Heather McDonald, who wrote a book called The War on Cops, describing and discussing the Ferguson effect. I'm going to give you the 2016 version of it from her and then ask you about where it is today. Does the truth okay. matter? If it does, here's a truth worth pondering. There is no government agency more dedicated to the proposition that black lives matter than the police. The proactive policing revolution that began in the mid-1990s has dramatically brought down the inner city murder rate and saved tens of thousands of black lives. Unfortunately, that crime decline is now in jeopardy. As I write in my book, The War on Cops, Police officers are backing off of proactive policing in black neighborhoods thanks to the false narrative that police officers are infected with homicidal bias. As a result, violent crime is going up. In cities with large black populations, homicides in 2015 rose anywhere from 54% in Washington, D.C. to 90% in Cleveland. 
Overall, in the nation's 56 largest cities, homicides in 2015 rose 17%, a nearly unprecedented one-year spike. All right, Steve, that was Heather McDonald in 2016 quoting statistics then, and she mentioned Cleveland 90% increase in homicides, and she's blaming all of this on the Ferguson effect, the lack of proactive policing because officers are afraid to get out and engage and save lives for fear of either being killed or hesitating, so they're not the next one to be tried, and, um, uh, and, and, uh, you know, and, and they're not able to, to, to serve and protect as a result. Now let's fast forward to 2019. Uh, is the Ferguson effect still in effect? Yeah, absolutely it is. Um, and, and I'll tell you, the cities across this country want nothing more than the veteran cops to retire. And they wish if we, <laughs> any cop with 15 years on or more, they want gone out of there because they know that we're teaching the young guys the right way to do police work and the safest way for everybody to do police work. Um, they have all these uh, policies that were born of this, these consent decrees that Obama forced down everybody's throat. Consent decrees that are accomplishing nothing. Those things are pushing guys deeper into those police cars, um, guys and gals. So um, I don't know. I, I just can't imagine why you would want to make enemies out of the police. You know, we... <laughs> We're the guys and gals that keep things together in here, and he's, and we're terrified to get out of cars. But, you know, proactive policing has is gone. You know, now now the the chiefs and the politicians now they put these little uh, units together that go out and they'll, they'll go to a community meeting. Well, who's at the community meeting? Twenty five people in Cleveland. You know, twenty five thirty people that are mad about something. You know, you're not reaching the citizens. Instead of having the cars in the neighborhoods, the number of cars that you need to have, and keeping those cops on their beat in that neighborhood, um, they have us going across the city from one end of it to the other um, of our districts. Uh, you don't get to know the people that way. And that's it's very, very simple to fix this. Let us get out of the car and, and talk to the people. Learn who we're working with in the neighborhoods that we're assigned to. Um, we don't have that luxury anymore, and we don't have the support of the politicians that we used to have. Um, and that's very, very discouraging. And, you know, these guys get paid the same, whether they're driving around in circles in a police car and waving at people, or whether they're going into the neighborhoods that we know have high crime rates. Um, the, every single neighborhood in the city of Cleveland, and, and I would argue in my travels, any major city that you were referring to with all these crime spikes, every single neighborhood in every one of those cities has majority great people in it, law-abiding, God-fearing. They just live in fear, in a greater level of fear, and they need us in those neighborhoods. And the guys aren't traveling down there. The guys and gals aren't traveling down there. They're not challenging, uh, you know, a car full of, kids at four o'clock in the morning, whether they're black or they're white, you know, you got four kids in a car at four o'clock in the morning, they're up to something, or you want to see what they're up to. Maybe they're lost. Could be. 
Right. But you need either way. Yeah, but either way, you're afraid to get out now and find out because you're going to be accused of profiling, hassling, or something else. Steve, I got to get a break here. Uh, Hold on a second. I got to take a break. Take a breath. I got to get a break here. Let me uh, let me come back and ask you about where you see the future, the immediate future of proactive policing going, if it is coming back at all, especially as we continue. Uh, to listen to divisive rhetoric from presidential candidates blaming police and uh, those who support police as being racist. Right back with Steve for one more question or two after this. WHKRadio.com is where to find the Bob France Authority podcast. All right, 1025 now. Steve Loomis, uh, uh, former Cleveland Police Patrolman Association president, now still a Cleveland police detective. He knows the streets. Steve, um, as of 2017, this article in the USA Today says that more than three-quarters of U.S. law enforcement officers now are reluctant to use force when necessary, and nearly as many, 72%, say they or their colleagues are more reluctant to even stop and question people who seem suspicious as a result of increased scrutiny of police. That was in 2017. Um, We're in 2019 now. What is the future of this, in your opinion, the immediate future in the next year or two, especially in light of more accusations of racism being launched by Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, uh, Robert Francis O'Rourke, and the rest of the Democrat candidates for president who have decided demonizing cops will get them more black votes? Yeah, those statistics are going to keep on climbing. Um, And it's not the scrutiny that that's bothersome to law enforcement. We've been used to that forever. People have always been able to file complaints if they need to. And, and uh, every police department that I know has an internal affairs unit. So we're used to scrutiny. What we're not used to is when the facts are out and everybody took a breath and people did a good job with these investigations, we're, we're not used to not having the support of the politicians. Because that's what it comes down to. It's not the chief of police. Calvin Williams does a great job in the city of Cleveland with the resources he's given um, to, to do the work with under the conditions. He, remember, we still have the Department of Justice, Obama's Department, Department of Justice up here in Cleveland um, watching things. and uh, It's just a money grab. There's nothing that's improving. There's, there's not a citizen out there that will tell you that, that anything in any one of these cities with these consent decrees uh, has improved. It just doesn't happen. You can't be successful unless the people, uh, the boots on the street, are uh, buy into the fact that, that the people in charge know that we have a difficult job and they support us when we do it, even if it's ugly. You know, it's it's just uh, all it does is embolden, embolden the thugs in the neighborhoods. You know, and, and I'll tell you the most blatant uh, example I can give of this. Um, Ferguson effect is the two coppers in New York City, you know, getting doused with water. And that was horrifying to watch. And it's, it's not just those two cops, Steve. I don't know if you've missed the news for a bit, but it's going on again and again and again. It is a it is a repeat uh, occurrence now. Not just those two yeah. in Harlem. Yeah, they're they're taking. I mean, and Lord only knows what they can mix in that water. Lord only knows, yeah. you know, whether it's going to be bleach or acid or anything else. I mean, honestly, it is. I agree. Horrifying. Doesn't even begin to describe that. And it's continuing. And guess what? In New York, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but real quick, uh, in New York, 
there is a bill that's been proposed by uh, Republican uh, leaders in uh, Albany, the state uh, legislature there, to make it a felony to douse or throw anything on police officers. And Democrats there are fighting it tooth and nail. They don't care. And that's a huge problem for me. I'll give you the last word. Go ahead. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, when I, I mentioned the two, the cops in New York, because that started it across the country. Yeah. You know, and, and it emboldens the, the people that are out there that want to do bad things. Um, and the politicians allow it to happen. And as a result, it's pushing us deeper and deeper into these police cars which is a terrible thing. To me, there's not a cop out there that wouldn't want to get out of the car or, or go get a bad, uh, you know, a bad guy. We can't chase them. They're not going to pull over that car at 4 o'clock in the morning that's got four young guys in it, whether they're black, white, or purple. They're not even going to light them up because the minute they do and their car takes off on them, now you're going to have problems with the city and, and possibly right. your career and everything else if that ends badly. So, um, it it is, uh, I, I just don't get it. And, and, and the worst part about it, Steve, the worst part about it, in addition to the police officers who are victimized in the, in such a way, their reputations, potentially even their safety, their, their lives, sure. their careers, the, the, the people, because that car that they won't stop at four o'clock in the morning, despite suspicious erratic driving or behavior or whatever, could be on their way to the, to go and commit, you know, another crime, which is when so many of these things happen. But you, but they couldn't stop them because of what, you know, as you say, the politicians, the elected officials yeah. and all of those others have done here. To well, or they, or they could be lost. You know, I mean, it's, it's real simple. That's our job. We're, we're supposed to be looking for abnormalities in an otherwise normal situation. And that's proactive policing. That's going yep. down into the into the neighborhoods that are most um, crime ridden, right? And protecting the people that live down there. Like I said before, there's great people. The majority of people in every one of these neighborhoods are are fantastic people. You know, I'm out there. I see them. And I they're the ones that you're trying them. to defend, right? They're the ones exactly. you're trying to defend, but people are making it impossible for you to do it. And guess who pays the price then again? Those majority and it's, wonderful people in the neighborhoods. It goes against wow. every ounce of our instinct to not go down there into the neighborhoods and do the things that we're supposed to be doing. Right, right. Um, instead, they're driving around and they're waiting for a radio call, which means what? Which means Something bad already happened. We're not preventing anything. We're responding to it. That's exactly And, and right. that's not Cleveland. That's across the country. Reactive right. policing instead of proactive policing just Absolutely. creates more victims. Steve, I got a jet. I appreciate your input yes, on this. It's a terrible thing that they're trying to do, revise the history of Michael Brown in order to continue to demonize cops. I appreciate you weighing well, in on it, sir. Well, I'll tell you this real quick, Bob. I don't remember the United States Attorney General being assigned to go investigate any police-involved shooting anywhere. So right from day one, Ferguson was, and he went down there two days later. Um, Obama sent him down there. So right from day one, um, this thing was political in Ferguson, and it was designed specifically for this end result. No question I'm, about I'm it. And, they, and, 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 and yet they couldn't get the result that they, that they wanted. He went down there specifically with a mandate to find something on Darren Wilson to prove him guilty, to satisfy and pacify the Black Lives Matter crowd, and he couldn't do it because the facts were not that. Uh, Steve Loomis, thanks so much. We've got to get to the news. We'll get there now. AM 1420, The Answer.
right, it's 1038 as we continue on AM 1420. The answer, thanks to Steve Loomis coming on and uh, talking a little bit more about policing in 2019, looking back at policing in 2014, and the ongoing lies being told by uh, the American left as it pertains to um, Michael Brown in 2014 and, of course, uh, the division that they just continue to try to create today. I will never, ever, ever, ever be able to overstate the insanity of a group of people that the American left, and particularly the Democratic candidates for president, calling Donald Trump the divider-in-chief when they have spent the last 72 hours trying to divide this country along racial lines, specifically over the Michael Brown issue, and they have spent the last two and a half years trying to divide this country along racial lines by calling Donald Trump a racist and a white supremacist without evidence of any kind, not majority evidence, any evidence whatsoever. They've got none of it. And yet they want to continue to advance this now through revising the Michael Brown story. All right, phone lines are open the rest of the way at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. You may also uh, tweet to me, Facebook comment to me, or parlor comment to me at France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio, all one word, no spaces, no underscores. We'll go to it now. TJ in Cleveland, go right ahead. Yeah, you know, Bob, with this Dayton shooting, you know, people, they want to talk about the other side wants unity. Well, you know, on the front page of the plane dealer that next morning, uh, it was uh, nine people killed in Dayton. Six of them were black. What? Who were the other three? I don't know. Were they white? Were they Asian? Were they Hispanic? I don't know. All I know is six of them were black, according to I the plane dealer. I didn't oh, even yeah, know that. I didn't even know that. Yeah, it was, it was on the front, you know, plane dealer. Uh, and then on the nightly news, they're showing the crime scene. And I thought it was a little odd. Only six wreaths were put up. And I thought to myself, well, nine people were killed. How come there's only six wreaths put up? Maybe you didn't see the other three. No, no. They were right in a row, lined up, six of them. I don't know. Be careful there, TJ, is all I'm going to say. Be careful there. Unless you know. Yeah, no, because this is what the left does, and I don't want us to do that. No. You know, unless there's proof that they eliminated three and and omitted three for the purposes of the six minorities, uh, I don't want to engage in that kind of crap. That's what the left does. I will not do that absent hard facts that six were up and three weren't, and it's because of this. That's what you're intimating, and I won't do that. I won't do that. You shouldn't do that either. Well, I mean, I'm just, it's just obvious to me that, and maybe in some people's minds, white lives don't matter. Okay? Yeah. I mean, that's the only point I'm trying to make. You know, one other thing, too. You know, it's, it's according to like what Loomis said, you know, our cities are much more unsafe now because of uh, this Obama decree. And the same people that made them unsafe, you know, the left, now they want to take away our rights to defend ourselves, and we can't count on the police, and we can't even count on ourselves because they want to disarm the law-abiding people. And one other point I thought was a little amusing, and I'm not going to infer anything here, but it was on the Internet with Jeff Epstein's mysterious demise that statistically you have a better chance of being killed by a Clinton than an AR-15. Yeah, well, that, that now that's pretty funny, actually, and uh, and thanks for the phone call. Um, I, the only part, point there that I really would want to follow up on is the second one. It is kind of ironic that the left wants you to believe that the greatest threat that we face, particularly people of color, is from police officers. And yet they want all Americans to be disarmed so that only the police officers have weapons. 
I want you to think about the, 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 the common sense of that. We're in grave threat from officers of the law, and we shouldn't have anything to defend ourselves. Does anybody even understand the racist history of gun control laws? You realize that the first gun control laws were intended to keep guns out of the hands of newly freed slaves? Freed men weren't allowed to have guns. Because we didn't want, you know, the, no, we, the, the, the uh, authorities at the time did not want freed slaves to be able to fight back against the stuff that they were still continuing to be subjected to. The lynchings, you know, the burnings, the, the, and so on and so forth. In that horrible, dark history, a part of American history, I mean, that was the first, uh, those were the first gun control laws. And one could argue that the same type of thing is being done today. We want to give the government all power and control over the people who should be powerless to defend themselves against whatever it is that the government wants to impose. And that's, of course, precisely why the Founding Fathers, I don't want to get off into the gun story today because that wasn't my theme today. But that is, of course, why the Founding Fathers in their infinite wisdom gave us the Second Amendment, gave us the right to keep and bear arms in the event that we do need to form a militia to fight back against anyone, including foreign or domestic threats. Foreign governments are our own government raining down on us in a, in a totalitarian uh, style. We should be able to fight back. And that's why one of, the, one of the reasons why we have to oppose any and all of these ridiculous new gun confiscation proposals, especially the red flag laws. The more you read about them, the more you listen, the more you hear about these things, the more dangerous they sound. We cannot allow that to happen. But as to the first part about what, what TJ said, how about this? Instead of focusing on the race of the shooting victims in, in Dayton, how about the fact that the American left has absolutely ignored the motives of the shooter. They cannot stop talking about the motive of the El Paso shooter, who survived, by the way, and was arrested, who said he was trying to kill Mexicans, and who wrote this racist you know, manifesto and posted it online. They can't talk enough about that, and then thus blame Donald Trump for it. But they will not even acknowledge the fact that the Dayton shooter was an Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders supporter, who wanted socialist socialism and he wanted socialism now. I mean, a hard and true avowed American leftist who went out there killing people, and that's just, what? What happened over there? Don't look over there. Look over here at El Paso. Forget about the race of the victims. The victim's blood is all the same color. It's about the shooter and, and what may have motivated the shooter, not about what kind of weapon he used, but it's about, because the weapon doesn't kill. I always go back to that line in Full Metal Jacket. And I know it's a different context because we're not talking about murder. We're talking about, you know, military defending our country. But the line from the, from the uh, drill sergeant, uh, uh, Gunnery Sergeant Hardman, when he said, it is, not, it is the hard heart that kills. It is not the weapon. It is the hard heart that kills. It is not the rifle. It is not the handgun. It is not the truck. It is not the fertilizer bomb. If you're in London, it's not the knife. It's the hard heart that kills. And it's true. It is true of murderers in the same way that it must be true that you must harden your heart and be able to shoot and kill your enemy in, uh, in matters of war. By the way, speaking of London, you did see this, did you not? While we are engaged in this massive issue 
here in the United States over guns and uh, you know new calls from the leftists on gun control. In London, where handguns are banned completely, you would think that they're living in peace and prosperity there, right? Nobody can kill because guns have been banned, right? Um, newsflash, spoiler alert, not, London has essentially earned the nickname Stab City. It has earned the nickname of Stab City by Londoners, by the way. There's a story in the USA Today that, that I posted yesterday, also on my Facebook page, which is France Radio. Um, after gun ban, murder rate passes in London. The London murder rate has passed that of New York City, and London Mayor Sadiq Khan is calling for, quote, sharper knife control. Now, that's a pretty clever little headline, sharper knives, get it? But meaning more knife control. London Mayor Sadiq Khan announced a crackdown on knives Sunday, yesterday. In response to the rising levels of violence in London, which recently surpassed New York City's homicide rate for the first time. No excuses, Khan tweeted. There is never a reason to carry a knife. Anyone who does will be caught, and they will feel the full force of the law. So, first, we're banning guns. Now they're on the verge of banning all knives. You cannot carry them outside your home. Pretty soon you won't be able to have them within your home. Good luck cutting your steak with a spoon, because no knives. And once they institute the full-on knife ban, what next? Seriously. Are they going to ban rocks? The original murder was Cain versus Abel. Weapon of choice, a rock. What are they going to do then? And what happens when they start driving their vehicles into people with more frequency in London? Banning vehicles? There have been more than 50 homicides in London so far. Uh, according to this story, let me see here. Guns are strictly regulated in the United Kingdom, and the rising homicide rate in London is directly attributable to a rise in knife-related crimes, stabbings, claiming at least 31 to date in 2018. By contrast, New York... Oh, this is from 2018. This isn't even 2019. So I wonder how bad it is now. New York, which has a population roughly the same size, has seen a steady decline in violent crime. There were 15 murders, blah, blah, blah. But there's the point. As the as the uh, TJ was just talking about, as far as the gun control laws, um, it, it does again. It doesn't matter what you take away. Somebody who is hell bent on killing will indeed find a way to kill. How many times do we need to point out? You know, Timothy McVeigh killed 168 people with a truck and some fertilizer. Nineteen Muslim hijackers killed 3,000 people with airplanes. Didn't need knives. Well, actually, they did. They used box cutters uh, in the uh, airplanes, but they didn't need guns. And, you know, of course, we have seen time and time again people driving vehicles into crowds of people into very busy places, sometimes trucks, big rental trucks, U-Haul trucks, sometimes uh, just cars like they did on Columbus at Ohio State. Excuse me. The point is if they are looking for a way to, or excuse me, looking uh, to be able to kill, they will find a way to kill, uh, no matter what you try to take away from them. All right, final segment coming up. If you want to get in, get in at 216-901-0945. i got a few more thoughts on the Michael Brown lie and the Heather Heyer death two years ago and the ongoing lies being told by the media as it pertains to Charlottesville. Right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Now heard through downtown, through greater Cleveland on 102.5.
93.5 FM. It's the Bob France Authority. All right, final segment of this Monday edition. I was just uh, making sure that I could share for you on my uh, social media page, on my Facebook page, which is France Radio, the PragerU video. It's about five and a half minutes long. CNN commentator Steve Cortez. Why would we put CNN, the purveyors of fake news, why would we put them on my page? Why would uh, Prager University allow him to narrate the story? Because it's even more important. When a CNN commentator, Steve Cortez, wants to bring the truth out about what happened in Charlottesville two years ago, today is the second anniversary of the death of Heather Heyer at the hands of a white supremacist thug who drove his car into a crowd of leftist protesters um, near the end of a violent clash between extremist groups, violent Antifa thugs against violent neo-Nazi thugs, and a bunch of innocent people who weren't part of either group but who were just there to express their opinion on the statues, caught up in it all. Heather Heyer was one of them caught up in it, one of the very fine people. But at any rate, two years later, the lying demon rat politicians continue to claim that Donald Trump defended the neo-Nazis, describing them as very fine people. It's a lie. It has been proven to be a lie. There is audio tape evidence. There is videotape evidence. There is transcript evidence of the truth, and the left continues to ignore it. Steve Cortez of CNN put it all together as a part of a PragerU video that you should watch and you should share with everybody you know. Dave is in Bedford on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Dave. Go ahead. Good morning, uh, Bob. Good morning. Uh, next thing they're going to ban is baseball bats, billy clubs, sticks. You know, this is this is uh, ridiculous. Yes, uh, you're right. They are, and they, that's that's exactly the point. You know, I was going to take it to that level too when I said they're going to ban rocks. You know, which was the original murder weapon when Cain slew Abel. But um, you right. know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, there are more people killed with bare hands than there are with rifles. I mean, seriously. Choking, beatings, punching, pummeling people, though there are more deaths with bare hands than there are from rifles. I believe I saw that statistic. And even if there isn't more, it's a significant enough point or enough uh, uh, number to point out the fact that, again, it's not the murder right. weapon that matters. It's the hard heart that makes somebody decide to kill. And if they don't have anything in their at their disposal, they'll use whatever they can, even their own hands. Right. I just wanted to get that in because uh, I'm, I'm thinking along your line. Thank you. I'm with you, my friend. I'm glad you got it in, Dave. Thanks for the call, buddy. Appreciate that. Jerry in Brexville next. Hi, Jerry. Go ahead. Bob, you know, I want to make a comment about the the police aren't more aggressive toward people. These days, uh, people are more aggressive to the police, like spitting on them, punching them, kicking them, throwing water on them. So actually, all this brutality that the police are accused of People are causing that with this aggressiveness. And one other thing, I watched Lou Dobbs last week, and he had that lawyer, that lady lawyer from California on there, uh, Dylan, Dylan or whoever her name is. And she said, one thing she says, what I've been saying right along, is Republicans have to get off their damn knees and get up here and back Trump. 
they got to quit criticizing Trump within their own group. But I think this Ryan guy is the one who started all this with them. So uh, that's that's my comments. And as far as racism goes, that Waller's made the worst racism remarks out there in California. And this one of the four donkeys made a, a racism thing to look out for the white man. I mean, I think we have to call a spade a spade, and they are more racist than we are. That's well, I'll I tell you what, say. Jerry. Th- thank you. For, thank you for the phone call. Um, there is little doubt in my mind that they are more race baiting than we are, and as a result of that, it becomes more racist than we are. I, I, I look. There is racism in America. There's racism in humanity. It's not just an American thing. It's a human thing. People are indeed um, less trusting of and perhaps less liking of people that they don't understand in a lot of places. A lot of times it's simply educational. But across this world, there are people who are like, they don't like other people that aren't like them. That's a sad fact of life. But here in the United States... The accusations and the allegations of racism are used as political tools, perhaps more so than any other place on earth. Racism is going to exist. There are going to be people on the right who are racist, and I guarantee you and promise you there are way, well, I won't say way, but there are even more people on the left who try to exploit that and make it worse than it is, which is racism on their own part. There's so much more to talk about here, but I'm out of time. Mike Gallagher will talk about it next, I'm sure. And then you're going to have Prager. Then you're going to have Dr. G. Then you're going to have Jay Secular Live. Then you're going to have Larry Elder. Stay right here all day, all night on AM 1420, The Answer. And we'll see you tomorrow for the next Bob France Authority. Have a great day. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.